0: I had uh, three titles for this morning's sermon. As it goes, sermon titles aren't that important, but I had three titles. I don't think I was indecisive. I think I was trying to be all-inclusive. There are three things here that I really want us to walk away with. The first was trust and obey, because that's what we're going to see Abraham do. Uh, No matter what God asks, Abraham trusts and obeys in Genesis chapter 22. The second one is the Lord provides, and that's what the Lord has always done, isn't it? So the Lord provides, and we're grateful for that. Abraham trusts him for that reason. But also, uh, what kind of one out in the end is Jesus, the true son of sacrifice, because it all, it all lands and depends upon Jesus. Uh, he is the one whom the Lord provides, and he is the one whom Abraham trusts and obeys, because he was the true son of sacrifice, the obedient one to the Father. You may remember the old hymn, Maybe, maybe you do. I think, I think some of you will anyway. Called Trust and Obey. It's a great old hymn. The verse, first verse says, When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his goodwill, he abides with us still, and with all who will trust and obey. And the refrain is, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus Than to trust and obey. Old hymns like that have kind of fallen on hard times. We kind of giggle when songs rhyme so obviously, or when we hear phrases like happy in Jesus. Is that something we say to children? You know, we kind of snicker at that just a little bit. But these are great words, they're true words, and they're the key to understanding our passage this morning. In Genesis chapter 22 because there there are two ways to live if you will we can live by faith or we can live by sight we've been talking about that a lot we can trust and obey not not obedient works for salvation but obedient works that are the evidence of our salvation credible evidence of true saving faith and Abraham lives that out for us here In Genesis chapter 22. If you'd like to follow along uh, in Genesis, but also use the sermon outline that's been provided for you in the bulletin, you'll see this sermon theme, even under severe testing, we might say especially under severe testing. Our faith should produce trust and obedience in God, who has provided Jesus the true son of sacrifice, who shed his blood to crush his enemy and ours, and to bless the nations and us. So let me pick up and read. I'm gonna, we're going to cover all of chapter two. I'm going to read the first 19 verses as we begin this morning. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. I and the boy will go over there and worship and again come to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice." So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham lived at Beersheba. This is the word of God. Well, this is a pretty shocking account. You can't read this without being stunned. I mean ever since Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 we've been tracing the seed of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent. For the last 10 chapters, we've been waiting for God to give Abraham this promised seed. And finally, last week in chapter 21, Isaac is born. And there's much rejoicing and there's laughter. And now, in the very next chapter, chapter 22, God says, sacrifice him. It was was remarkable in 20 and 21 How God protected his people. How God protected his promise. How God protected Isaac, the son of the promise. Suddenly, unbelievably, God tells Abraham to offer Isaac as a burnt offering. And we are left trying to find our way to understand this. And here's the way for us to understand this. Moses tells us in verse 1 that this is a test. God is testing Abraham's faith in him. God's testing always has two aspects to it. I think you might know this. The first aspect is obvious. It's, will Abraham pass the test? Will he do it? Will Abraham be faithful and pass the test? Will he do what God tells him to do? But God's testing is not just about the final score. Yes, we want Abraham to pass the test and prove himself faithful. But in order to pass that test of faith, Abraham must actually exercise the faith. This is the second aspect of God's testing. The test reveals and strengthens actual faith. To test a piece of metal is to heat it, to stress it, to hammer it, to bend it, to find out whether it passes the test, but also to strengthen it. God's tests apply stress to Abraham's faith. No kidding. Not only to reveal, but to increase his faith in reality. Faith is theory until it's put in practice. Because faith does not grow in theory. And the nature of faith is that it must be worked out in real life. Even in fear. Even in trembling. So the fact that this is a test governs how we're to think about this whole episode. We must acknowledge that this is a test and interpret what it takes place in this in the context of a test. There are a couple of common questions and objections to this account, and this is why we need to remember it's a test. One question about this text is, does God require human sacrifices? Is that what God's doing here? And the answer is no. In the Pentateuch, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, God forbids human sacrifices. Later, in Jeremiah chapter 22, when faithless Israelites actually sacrifice their children to the pagan god Molech, God judges them and he says, Never did that ever enter my heart that you should do such an abomination. So even though Abraham is surrounded by peoples whose gods require human sacrifices, this account shows that God does not. Because as we see, even if Abraham is willing, God is not. At no point, we could say, here's our disclaimer, at no point in the filming of this test was Isaac's life actually in danger. We readers know it's a test. Moses has let us in on the secret. But for Abraham, it is a real experience. And that's how tests are run in your life. It's real experience. This particular test is unique to Abraham. It's a test of his faith in the covenant promises and the covenant God as that covenant's being established. But he doesn't know it's a test. And so God calls Abraham to go to a place and he'll tell him when he gets there. That echoes God's calling of Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans, doesn't it? This time, the place is Moriah. It's about 50 miles east of Beersheba, where Abraham is at, and there Abraham is to offer up his son, his only son, Isaac, whom he loves. You may be thinking, well, wait, what about Ishmael? What about the other son? Which, which I think reveals another bit of the, the context of this test. It's a test of covenant faithfulness. Ishmael is no part of the covenant. God was gracious to give Israel his own Ishmael, his own separate promise, but Isaac is the only son. Isaac is the only heir. Isaac is in. In the line of God's covenant with Abraham. Isaac is the promised son. Not of the flesh like Ishmael. But of the spirit. And Abraham gets up. And, he, and he, takes, he takes Isaac. And he takes some men. And he goes. Abraham's immediately obedient. You know if God's command is shocking. Frankly Abraham's response is equally shocking. He rose early in the morning. That's a, that's a phrase that's used throughout Genesis. We've seen it several times so far. And it means immediate obedience. No delay. He saddles the donkey. He gathers Isaac and a couple of servants. He cuts the wood. And they all head to the place, the mountain. Abraham is immediately obedient. And he continues in obedience. It's a three-day walk. Which means that Abraham has time to turn back. You don't think Abraham walking along is is thinking to himself, looking at Isaac? Am I really going to do this? Does the Lord really want me to do this? How is is this going to balance with me being the father of many nations? I have one son. Don't you think Abraham wondered those things that you're wondering? Yes, he did. He's not an automaton just because those things aren't recorded for us here. He's wondering all of those things. He's concerned about all of those things. And he's concerned about trusting and obeying God. But knowing exactly what he is heading for, For three days, each day, Abraham gets up and he walks in obedience to God and his covenant. And on the third day, Abraham lifts up his eyes and he sees the mountain in the distance. There it is off in the distance. And Abraham tells his servants, you stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come to you again. Don't miss what Abraham is saying. We can read it this way. Isaac and I, we will go. We will worship and we will come back." There is no indication that Abraham is going to do anything other than what God has commanded him to do, which is to slay Isaac. How can Abraham possibly think that both he and Isaac will return? Is this some kind of misguided Blind obedience on Abraham's part? No. Abraham is obeying the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. Abraham is intending to slay Isaac according to God's word, and Abraham is believing that God is going to keep his word of promise. Abraham obeys God because Abraham trusts God. It's the only way he would go through with this. The author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 11. Turn, you'll want to look at this. Hebrews chapter 11. Beginning in verse 17. We've been in the chapter of faith a couple times to get some insights from the inspired author of Hebrews about Abraham. And in verse 17, he writes, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested... Offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it is said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He, Abraham, considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. From which, figuratively speaking, he did... Abraham believes that God will raise Isaac from the dead. We're told that in Hebrews. Abraham trusts that not even death can stop God's promises. Abraham trusts and obeys God in this test. See, that is the faith required for Abraham to intend to go through with this act, this act of slaying his son. Absolute faith in his resurrection. Abraham is not some religious nut acting on things that God has not said. Abraham is trusting in God and by faith in God who has already kept his promises to Abraham. There's evidence of God's faithfulness. By faith, Abraham is obeying God's word because God is the one who keeps his word. Without that faith, it's impossible to imagine Abraham acting in obedience to this command. In fact, Abraham's covenant relationship with God is conditioned upon this faith. Isn't it? Even while God's covenant promises to Abraham are conditioned on himself. Now look at the last phrase in verse 6. Back in Genesis 22 and verse 6. So they went both of them together. The redundancy in this sentence is intended. They, both, together. It emphasizes more than just logistics. It emphasizes unity. Abraham and Isaac walk together towards Mount Moriah in unity of purpose to worship God. Together, both of them, in unity. And Isaac does this little checklist, doesn't he? You know, I think, I think Isaac is probably about the same age now as Ishmael was when Abraham had to make the decision to send he and Hagar out. So maybe between 14 and 18. He's about the same age when this, when this time of, of, uh, of difficulty and testing comes. So he's, he's carrying the wood on his back and Abraham is carrying the fire and, and the knife And Isaac asks, where's the lamb? Where's the lamb for the burnt offering, Father? And Abraham says, God will provide himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Now, I admit that this is subtle. I admit that it's subtle, and and it's less subtle to Hebrew scholars in the Old Testament. But the Hebrew wording, Abraham seems to be identifying Isaac As the only one for the potential sacrifice. We might say it this way. God will see for himself a lamb for the burnt offering. My son. We would say. God has provided you Isaac. You wonder why there is no struggle later. Right? So in verse 7. Isaac Isn't sure what's happening. Now in verse 8, he seems to get it. And still, Abraham and Isaac, father and son, went both of them together up Mount Moriah in unity to worship God. It's almost impossible to see Abraham offering up his only son Isaac and Isaac trusting his father as he carries the wood on his back up Mount Moriah without seeing Jesus bearing the wooden cross on his back up to Mount Calvary. And in these ways, Isaac prefigures Jesus. It's a pattern fulfilled in Jesus. The offering of Isaac points us to the offering of Jesus. They're not equal, they're not one for one, but one does point to the other. One does have very strong similarities to the other. There's no struggle. Isaac doesn't try to run away. It's a very dramatic moment, and I think it's, it's made that way, and I think it's made its way into Isaiah chapter 53. We often go there. We regularly look back at the suffering servant in Isaiah chapter 53, and we rightly see Jesus. But I think Isaac, as he wrote 53 verse 7, was looking back and had Isaac in view. Isaiah writes, he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that's led to the slaughter. And like a sheep before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. And here the pace of Moses writing changes in verse 9. Everything slows down. It's like slow motion. For the same reason that there's slow motion in movies. So that we can take in every detail as the suspense builds. Anticipating what's coming. He uses the word and a lot. When they came to the place Abraham built the altar, and he laid the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham reached out his hand, and he took the knife to slaughter his son. And we're being given all of this time to realize, to think, this is really happening. This is really happening. It's time to answer the test. God really has called Abraham to slay his son Isaac. Abraham really has taken the knife in hand and is willing and prepared to slay Isaac. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham said, here I am. The test is not for God to learn whether Abraham is faithful or not. God knows. God knows. The test is for Abraham, and the test is for us. In verse 1, God called Abraham, and Abraham responded, here I am. In verse 7, Isaac called Abraham, and Abraham responded, here I am. And here in verse 11, the angel of the Lord, which is really the Lord's words, calls Abraham from heaven, and Abraham responds, here I am. Abraham is not saying here I am as in this is my location. Abraham is saying here I am to declare that he's a faithful servant of God, ready and willing to trust and obey the Lord in everything. That's what here I am means. Everything in Abraham's life has been building to this climactic moment, this it's heaped up in a pinnacle on Mount Moriah. And just at that moment, Abraham lifts his eyes, his trusting eyes, his obedient eyes, and he sees the ram. God has provided for himself a sacrifice. And it's a sacrifice in place of Abraham's son Isaac. Many aspects of the offering of Isaac point us to Christ. I use the word prefigure. They they follow a pattern, but we wouldn't call Isaac himself a type of Christ. Isaac, frankly, is a minor character in the story. What he does well is trust his father and obey his father. But the New Testament never points us back to say what a Christ-like boy Isaac was in Genesis chapter 22. However, the New Testament does point back to Abraham in Genesis 22 and say what a faithful man Abraham was. You want to see faith? Look at Abraham. Abraham's the faithful father. Rather, Israel would recognize themselves in Isaac. Because they were in need of a substitutionary sacrifice we would recognize ourselves in Isaac because we need a substitutionary atonement. And that substitute is Jesus Christ. Let me appeal to you this morning. You must pay the just penalty for your sins against God. Or, you must believe by faith in the substitute God has provided. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter five, verse 21, "For our sake, He made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God." Do you see? Do you see the substitute? For our sakes, God made Jesus to be sin, even though He knew no sin. So that by faith in Him, we might become the righteousness of God. It's exactly what Chris said earlier. Jesus on the cross took our sin, put it upon Himself, and suffered the just punishment of God upon our sins, upon Himself, And at the same time, gave us his righteousness. Because the very righteousness of God is what is required to enter the presence of God. And he gives it by faith. Lift up your eyes and see Jesus Christ. Trust him to take the penalty for your sin upon himself on the wooden cross. Obey him and walk in the righteousness that he gives. This is not blind faith. It's seeing faith. See that God promised that Jesus would crush the power of sin and death and bring salvation to all who believe in him. Look at verses 15 to 19. Let me read those again. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, The Lord further assures Abraham. God has promised and he has re-promised to assure Abraham's faith. God has covenanted and re-covenanted to assure Abraham's faith. We've seen this in the chapters before. Abraham now knows that trusting and obeying God is the way to knowing God and following God. It is the way. There is no other way. Since there is no greater authority on which God can swear this promise, he swears it upon himself, upon myself. Abraham, I promise, I surely promise that I will keep my covenant with you. Now, well, This specific test is unique to Abraham because it's a covenant establishing test. We've known all along that God will keep his covenant. We, we've been convinced of that. Now... Abraham knows that it is by faith, evidenced by trust and obedience, real faith, actual faith, put into action, working out faith, by which he keeps the covenant. Understand that obedience matters. Obedience matters because it is the fruit of faith. If you believe in him, you will follow him. You will say, God, here I am. Abraham's trust and obedience is not perfect, is it? But it is present as evidence of his faith in God, which God has already credited to him as righteousness. That faith which God gives, is the saving faith we need and which keeps the covenant, the promise of salvation. The basis for God keeping the covenant is not our perfect obedience, but His mercy and His goodness and His love. He will keep His promise and all of His promises that come by faith by giving us that faith, saving faith. Just as with Abraham, God calls us to himself and confirms his promises that come to us by faith. We come to know him by trusting in his word. And we begin walking in obedience to his commands as visible evidence of our invisible faith in Christ. Abraham has a covenant faith in Jesus. The true seed. At the beginning of verse 17, God promises a collective seed, a multitude, that is the offspring of Abraham who will be more than any man can count. More than the stars, more than the granules of sand. Because Abraham has proven himself faithful, God's covenant will be passed down to Isaac. But midway through the verse, God speaks of not a collective seed. He changes to an individual seed. One. Your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in this seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. You see, that possess the gate of his enemies, (laughs) it means he has to kick his enemies out first. It fits with crushing the seed of the serpent. It fits with that language. And it points us to Jesus in the same way. On the cross, Jesus crushed the head of the serpent, dealing the death blow to Satan. Even as the serpent crushed Jesus' heel, but Jesus rose from the dead in victory. And he shares that victory with us. He tells us in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, on this rock of faith, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's the victory. The victory won your salvation in Christ by faith and now on assault on the offense with the gospel that saves and a God who's conquering the world by faith and salvation which is important to keep in mind as we look into these last transitional verses of chapter 22 beginning in verse 20 the chapter ends with a genealogy which does three things first It begins to wrap up the story of Abraham. The story of Abraham began in chapter 11 as the generations of Terah, remember? So here's Terah, the father. He has three sons. He has Abraham, whom we've read 11 chapters to cover Abraham. There was Haran, the brother who died, but whose son was Lot, who kind of got subsumed and attached to Abraham. So we've already read about Lot. We've already read about Haran's offspring. And then third is Nahor. Nahor is the brother still back in Mesopotamia, in Ur of the Chaldeans, and he's covered in these five verses. So Abraham's story began with a genealogy, and Abraham's story ends with a genealogy, even though it's going to take three chapters to tell the very end. This is kind of, these are kind of bookends. Second, Moses reminds us how things stand. There's a little scorekeeping going on here related to the covenant promises. Moses does that for us. Nahor has 12 sons and a granddaughter. We read that. And it's been reported, so it's a historical event, right? Someone has has come to Abraham and told him this. Hey, here's here's Nahor and his family. Which means, so far, Ishmael, who's over in Paran, is going to have 12 princes, remember? It's going to be a great nation. Nahor, back in Mesopotamia is already a great nation, he's got twelve sons. While Abraham, who's the one who actually has the promise of God to be a great nation, only has one son. The irony persists. You see why it is faith and not sight that we must live. Throughout Genesis, God's people always seem to be the underdog. Maybe where you live, it looks like God's people seem to be the underdog. It's everyone else who's growing and prospering, while God's people just remain a little mustard seed in Maine. Which is all the more reason that God's people need to walk by faith, and not by sight. They need to trust and obey their covenant-keeping God because He will do it. Third, notice in verse 23 that Bethuel fathered Rebekah. It's even in parentheses as if it's the least important thing there. This Rebecca will be the wife of Isaac. We'll look at that next week. In order for Isaac to have offspring, he will need a wife. And Abraham will live to see Isaac have a wife. This is Moses' way of setting up the final three chapters of Abraham's life with hope. Hope of God's future promises. So this... This little group of verses kind of pushes us forward, transitions us forward, but it does show in hope. Despite what we see, we have faith in the covenant-keeping God. Let me take just a couple of minutes. I just want us to think a minute about Abraham's life. When we first see Abraham back in chapter 12, God says, Abraham, Abraham, I want you to leave your home. I want you to leave your family. I want you to sojourn in a different land, a different place. And I want you to do something that you do not fully understand. And Abraham does it. And for 25 years, Abraham has been walking and talking with God. Hey, there have been ups and there have been downs. And as we get to the, towards the end of his life in chapter 22... God says to him again, it's another test. I want you to leave what's become familiar to you. I want you to leave your family. I want you to go to a, another place that I'll show you. And I'm going to ask you to do something that you cannot quite fully understand. And Abraham does it. In both cases... Abraham trusts God and Abraham obeys God and both cases end up with what? Blessing. Blessing. They both end up with promise and they both end up with worship. All three. Abraham receives promises and instructions that he does not understand and yet because it is god who is promising and god who is instructing abraham believes abraham trusts abraham obeys and abraham worships god and abraham receives blessing and promise trust and obey for there's no other way it's true but let's just try to connect a couple of dots. Let's just try to connect a couple of dots. I don't know if this is you, but it might be you. You may be in the midst of a test right now. I'm gonna, I thought of three that just seemed to be pretty common. Maybe you're caught up in pornography. And you're thinking, why not? All my friends are. All I want is a little escape from the pressure. All I want is a, is a little control in my life that's out of control, surely God wouldn't deny me those things. But you know that God says it's a sin. And you're wondering if you dare admit it. If you dare ask for help and accountability. God has made promises to you of purity and of righteousness and righteous satisfaction. And the only way out of sin and to those promises is to trust and obey. Maybe there's someone in your life who's hurt you very deeply. And you don't want to let go of that hurt. Because if you let go of it, you'll feel like you've let them off the hook. Or there's someone who's asked asked you for forgiveness, but you feel that if you grant them forgiveness if you release on the justice that you deserve, it'll be like saying, well, it was no big deal. And it was a big deal to you. So you're holding on to that bitterness, even though God says never be bitter and always forgive. God has made promises to you of happiness and forgiveness of your own sins. And the only way to get out of that sin and to those promises is to trust and obey. Or maybe the test is faith itself. You've convinced your parents and your friends and whoever the people are around you that you're in one place with the Lord and doing one thing with your life when you're actually doing something that's very different. And it seems like you're this close to making a decision to break away in a really different direction away from family, away from church, away from Jesus. You are not the only person who's been tested in this way. But God has made promises to you that if you will seek Him, you will find Him. If you would submit to Him instead of fighting against Him, you would be blessed. Even now, He has made promises to you if you would follow His Son, See, the way out of confusion, the way out of uncertainty, the way to hope and knowledge and wisdom and happiness is to trust and obey. Life can be hard. Things can be difficult. God does test us. But God does not sacrifice us. Do not fall into the despair of your own pity party. God has provided a sacrifice for us. His son. His only son. Jesus, whom he loves. God has provided Jesus the very Son of God, to bring about every promise He has made so that through faith in Jesus you would be blessed if you would trust and obey. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for the Lord Jesus Christ. We were deserving of Your just wrath. He took it in our place. We thank you for him. We thank you for your love, a father's love, because you are a true father to us. We thank you for our savior's love, because he's a, he is a true prophet, priest, and king, acting entirely on our behalf, and all for your glory, which is what we want to say. We want to see him high and lifted up. We want to see your glory Cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. So do it. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.